heart takes me to where I need to be, even at the times when I don't know where I'm going. each and every one of you joining us. Welcome to Questioning Artists, a podcast where we believe that inquiry and art making are both essential parts of life. And so we invite you to listen as artists share fascinating and thoughtful responses to questions about their origins, their training and mentors, their art making, and what lights their inspirational fires. I'm your host, Kate Michael Gibson. I'm an artist who wears many hats, including writer, producer, performer, editor, story maker, and now podcaster. I'm a founding member of Convergence's Theater Collective. CTC is a group of pioneering theater artists and innovative teachers dedicated to creating original work and re-envisioning classics. And in 2018, we turned 10. As part of our 10-year anniversary, we are exploring how to tell CTC's story in multiple ways through the voices of our amazing collaborative artists. This podcast is inspired by that storytelling idea, as well as by a dream I had a while ago about sitting down to talk one-on-one with the many incredible and talented artists I know. I was inspired by other folks doing wonderful things with podcasts, especially storytelling shows. I found that hearing firsthand from brave and honest people sharing themselves openly and with vulnerability was not only deeply moving and educational and inspirational, it was also a source of real human connection for me. Since I've always adored art and art makers, this show combines three of my longtime loves, artists, CTC, and personal storytelling. On this, our premiere episode, I am honored to sit down with Naja Imani Muhammad, a theater artist who also wears many hats. She's an actor, a director, and an educator. Naja and I discuss collaboration, the relationship between artist and audience, and the importance of faith and commitment. Welcome to the conversation. Naja, welcome to Questioning Artists. Thank you so much for being with us. So happy to be here. It's really uh, awesome to get to sit down and chat with you today. And I am so excited to talk to you and learn more about you. So um, let's just start off with some basics. Take it away. I consider myself educator first because no matter what I do, I, I need to be serving the youth and serving all people, honestly, because I just feel like I can... I can use my love for theater to teach so many things. So I'm definitely an educator, artist, but educator, actor, director, and advice enthusiast. Excellent. So let's start there. Um, Everything you just mentioned, they're all very collaborative endeavors. And um, we haven't actually gotten to work directly together until this project. Um, But we have the connection through Convergence's Theater Collective and all of our work as a collective, is very collaboration-based. So I wanted to ask you about your relationship to collaborative art making and why that appeals to you. 
I just like that I'm never alone. So thinking about putting on the director's hat, you can feel like such an island as a director. I feel like an island as a director sometimes until I realize that I'm just simply not, right? When you're collaborating with a team, whether, whether I'm an actor or a director, it's so nice to have people to bounce ideas off of and to just create together. I don't think I could create alone. Even, even when I wrote alone, anything I've written has been inspired by probably people I've met, people I see on the train. I wrote a poem called Little Black Boy. And that poem was inspired by um, probably a high school kid that I saw just cowering on the train and you know, wanting to not be seen. And, and the poem is about how I saw him and how he shouldn't cower. And yes, did I physically ask him to help me write it? No, but I wouldn't have written it if I had, hadn't had that interaction. So as an artist, specifically as a theater artist, my favorite part about collaborating is the fact that I'm not making art if I'm not collaborating. If I try to do something on my own, that's when I feel like I'm rushing and that's when I feel like I'm not actually doing anything, I'm not growing. And we have other collaborators, we have friends and, and teammates and ensemble members who are there to push us to grow. I think this is just, collaboration is just sort of a mindset that I've you know, adopted. It's part of me now because I'm just so attracted to being a part of something bigger where all of the people that I'm around know that we need each other. I don't even think I, I go for, for jobs where I'm not able to collaborate. Um, even as so as a theater educator, and I was in the classroom full time for for two whole years, teaching K through four. My my children they loved coming to my class, not because many of them are going to be serious actors when they get older, but because they felt like they were a part of a community where they could actually speak up, and where it wasn't just the same exact thing. And this is a school that wanted lots of structure, and I gave it to them. But it wasn't me leading the warm-up every single time or me teaching the class. I tried to get every student to have a chance to sh literally shine on stage yeah. and teach the class. And, oh, what, what should we do? I like giving options. When I'm a director, I give options. When I'm a teacher, I give options. And when I'm an actor, even if I am in that space where the director wants to tell me what to do and I have to be quiet until it's my time to speak, so in my head, I think about how can I turn this into a collaborative piece? This director doesn't really want to know what I'm saying. I'm not going to ruin this experience, but I'm just going to I'm just going to give him a little something different or give her a little something different. So in my head, <laughs> I'm turning it into a collaborative piece. Um, I don't view projects as something I'm going to collaborate on. I, I view collaboration as the actual project and process. Um, so it's great to be collaborative, and I think I'm constantly in a collaborative um essence mm -hmm. so there's definitely a difference between me when when I've created my own work and then you know been a part of the process of see it's even a process when I've been involved in other people's works I've always sort of um tuned in if you will like like if I was a radio like my antenna's always up sometimes I have to tell myself to, to take it down because if I'm an actor I shouldn't be thinking like a director because Roles can get muddied in that mm -hmm. way, but I'm just constantly paying attention to how other people and other roles are working mm -hmm. because my hats shift so much, so mm -hmm. often. So I just honestly feel like every experience I'm having, whether no matter what hat I'm wearing, I can take it to inform mm -hmm. my other role. I, I haven't always been this person who's just all about collaboration. I think I've 
I used to like to say the word a lot, but I also am strong-willed and opinionated and I have vision and I want things to happen, right? Mm -hmm. When I'm a director, I am very direct. Oh, it's in the word. <laughs> Every sort of hat that I've been wearing in the last few years has informed just me as an artist. I didn't even call myself an artist probably three years ago. I felt like, mm, I'm an artist, that's cheesy and I don't wear black, whatever. I don't know what I thought because I loved artists, whether they were visual artists, theater artists, but I didn't know that that, that word didn't feel right for me. Um, and it probably didn't feel right because I wasn't leading my life in a collaborative way. Mm. I don't think you could be an artist without collaborating, honestly. Um, and someone may disagree, but that's my truth, at least. Yeah. Well, sounds like you're very much a collaborative artist, and that means that um, CTC is probably a pretty good fit for you. I'm really excited now to find out the story of how you came into CTC. So I remember it was right after I first moved to New York City, which wasn't long ago. I've been, September marked four years. I moved right after college, so I graduated uh, from Emerson College in Boston in mm -hmm. 2014. And I moved here in that September. And sometime during that fall, Convergences was having an audition to be a part of a part of an ensemble mm -hmm. that was helping to build a story. Um, and I remember seeing the post on Playville. Yeah. Good old Playbill. Yeah. And I had started sort of checking that religiously because mm -hmm. as an actor in New York City, I, I wanted to work. Yeah. And I'd gone to some auditions that made me feel okay. I went to mm -hmm. some auditions that made me feel bad. And I remember just reading the notice for this. Um, it was for a project called Project Unspeakable. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely attracted to it just because I, I loved the aspect. And we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But I love that there was history and how they said they wanted to combine history with current events. Mm -hmm. And now in 2014, um, just like today, right. <laughs> there was a lot of, that's when I was sort of, I would say, yes, I was 21, but I was entering more adulthood because I didn't care so much in college. Mm -hmm. College was all about, you know, being cast in shows and directing shows. Mm -hmm. And then I went out into the real world, so to speak, and mm -hmm. I realized you can't turn a blind eye to what's going on in the world. So I was starting to, I wouldn't say become more political, but care more about what was mm -hmm. happening. And there was a lot, a lot happening in, in the world of police brutality, um, just discrimination. And I was outside of the college bubble and realizing that I look and sound different and um, people pay attention to that first. So mm -hmm. that's where I was, That's that's what I was, feeling like and so when I saw the sort of casting notice I remember words that popped out that said um okay ensemble it said in the casting notice that the audition process was going to be collaborative mm -hmm. and that they just wanted people to show up and play and that I was attracted to that automatically yeah. because as a human in this world no matter what I do even with my education it's all about being playful mm -hmm. and working as a team okay. so when I read words like that in this audition notice I said okay I gotta check this out. Because, of course, moving to New York City, it can be a little discouraging going to auditions. And then, whoa, I went to the audition and we were just, you know, we were told to start milling and seething around the space and we did some improv together and we had to just play and roll around on the floor and create images. And I remember connecting with so many people and I forgot that it was an audition. And that's a good feeling. Oh, yeah. Because when you feel... Like you're at an audition, you feel like you're being judged. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And this was an experience that felt judgment-free. It felt like I was actually a part of an ensemble. I was playing, but then it also felt like we were doing important work. Mm-hmm. And this was just from the audition. Yeah. And I walked away thinking, oh, you know, whether or not I get a call for this project, I'm happy because now I know the kind of organizations I want to be a part of being a baby in New York City. That's actually something I've, I've definitely learned from CTC is there's such beauty and commitment. I've seen, and it's just been four years um, of a relationship with CTC, but I've seen them stick things out and also seen how things can grow. For example, um, Liz and The Woman Who Is Me, I saw, I think I saw it, I think it was two. Both times they were different. And I remember hearing about it before I even saw it and it sounded different than what I saw. And that's important because I feel like as artists, we can go both ways. We can either really like just be so married to our art. And that's why sometimes you need collaborators to step in and say, hey, you're really attached to this. Let me give it a look for a bit so that I can give you some solid advice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes we don't want change to happen. So we're so married to it that we don't see it going anywhere. And then we just give up on that art. And what I saw happen with the woman who was me, I, I saw it change and sort of like bring a new life and kind of fly away. And I think that's really, really great. And even other things that CTC has done, sometimes you have to realize, okay, you have to humble yourself and say, this isn't going where it needs to be. And we're going to table it. Mm-hmm. And with CTC, I've noticed that that conversation has been, we're going to table it for now because that's not what we need to be focused on right now. But I've just seen such commitment. The first project I was a part of, um, Project Unspeakable, it lasted like two years. My first two years in the city, I was able to work on this project and there were so many iterations of it. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that sometimes artists feel a little bit discouraged when things change. But to me, I just think that's inspirational because it's so easy to give up. And so if there's anything that I take away from my work with CTC, don't give up. Just keep going. Your art and your work is never done. And it can turn into so many things and transform. An organism or organization that doesn't grow or change dies. And that's what I've taken away in life as a woman, that I need to constantly be growing. But specifically in art, it needs to consistently grow. It's actually really refreshing to even think about that conversation again because now that I'm a little bit more seasoned, still still a bit of a baby in New York City, but now that I've worked with so many people, I'm reminded of the kinds of organization I need to be a part of um, because I've, I've seen a lot more and they have not all made me feel that nice, sparkly, cuddly feeling inside. Mm-hmm. So um, that was my introduction to CTC. Well, that sounds like a pretty great introduction to CTC. And I, for one, am so glad that you made that introduction so you mentioned, Naja, getting out of school and kind of um, becoming more aware of sort of events going on nationally and culturally. And you mentioned, you know, looking and sounding different. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, about your identity or in terms of how it informs you as an artist. As a kid, and it's weird to say this because I've, I've always been unique and, and I didn't like saying that because to me it sounded cocky and we're all unique in our own ways of course a but b i i feel like i spent a lot of of like middle school and high school wanting to fit in and it's hard for me to say that because i just i stood i stand out like i stood out throughout school 
And that was clear and all my friends said that. But even still, reflecting as a kid, I wanted to fit in. And you know that famous quote, why fit in when you were born to stand out? I, <laughs> I realize that's just so true. And I think that's true of anybody. And not everyone has the confidence to know that's true of themselves. But I spent so much time fitting in and not wanting to be seen as the other. And I didn't, even even with being, you know, the, the, the black kid in class or the Muslim girl in class, I didn't realize that that was the case. I was just nausea. But I didn't own the fact that I was nausea because I was different. So I was spending so much time like fitting in. I want to fit in. I want to fit in. I don't want anyone to look at me and think I'm different. And I didn't. I didn't want that. And now I realize I am so different and it's so incredible. And that honestly informs everything. Like I am so deeply connected to my faith and faith is something that wavers. Um, and I'm learning that so much. And you, there's no one way to show your faith. So I'm finding new ways every day, honestly. When I introduce myself or think of who I am in this world, I either identify as being an African-American Muslim woman or a black Muslim woman. I, I interchange African-American and black um, because I don't even really know all my roots. I think I, I grew up thinking I had Caribbean-American blood and that Caribbean-American is not the same as African-American, but then, you know, we're all from Africa. But people like, you know, taxi drivers will say, where are you from? Where are you from? Your name is Naja. Where are you from? Or your eyes, you look like you could be from Yemen or Moroccan. And I'm like, I don't know. And they laugh. I'm like, <laughs> slave trade, my brother, I really don't know. And then they stop laughing. I actually do not know. I think about when I walk into a room, what do people see? First, they see my color. I am black. I'm brown, but I'm, I'm a black woman. They may see the head covering I have on my hair and depending on how it's wrapped or how I'm dressed in that day, it may just look like fashion, you know, or it may look religious. I had an article in college and I remember telling the person interviewing me that I was like, it's a combination of religion and swag. And like, that's still very true to me. Um, but I'm a black Muslim woman. And no matter what I do, those two things lead first. But those are the three things that are always, always a part of me. So when you when you thought talked about titles in the beginning, I said, you know, educator, actor, director, advice, enthusiast. But before all those four, I'm a black Muslim woman. And so no matter what I do in the world of theater, that is a part of it. And I think I spent a lot of time because I was interested in theater, as we talked about earlier, since I was in since I was little, but definitely in high school. And I wanted to think about like, oh, well, you know, they shouldn't see my color or my religion when casting me. And you know what? I hate when people say I don't see color because it's a part of me. And I was, six years ago, I probably was saying that too or thinking, wow, that's so prolific of you to not see color. And now I'm like, really? Because my melanin is popping and you should see this. You should see this. And my religion has made me who I am today. I am so balanced and I don't, I don't necessarily infuse religion in every single thing that I do, but it's, it's who I am. It, it keeps me balanced. It, it makes it so that when I have a when I have a tough experience, I'm not breaking down. Um, I'm not saying that I don't cry because tears. I mean, vulnerability is a strength, right? Tears are beautiful. Um, I don't think I cry enough, actually. And when do I cry? It's when I see a powerful piece of theater or when I'm working on something. Um, this morning, I started saying a monologue, the monologue that I auditioned with when I was in high school because a director I worked with about a year ago said, don't throw that away. I thought I'd outgrown it. And it's so much more, I'm so much more connected to it now than ever before. And this morning in the shower, I actually was the first time I cried 
in a long time because I was just working on this monologue for no reason other than sometimes I talk to myself in the shower. Most people sing, I talk to myself. And I was doing the monologue, um, it's from For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow's Enough, the one about abortion. I don't remember which, which color lady that was, but I just started saying it in the shower and I, I broke down and I didn't, at 17, I didn't, I didn't connect to it. I was just saying words and I just happened to be an okay actor. And um, now with experiences, friends I've had and with, once again, politics that I don't talk about a lot, all of these things and my faith and my color of my skin and the fact that I'm just a woman, it caused me to break down in the shower because it meant something to me. So no matter what I do, I do it with the full intent and in knowing that I am a black Muslim American woman doing this. And I'm happy to be those and I don't want to, to fit in because I was born to stand out. But I, I just, I'm, I, I know that I'm different and I wouldn't even say I use it to my advantage because I don't use it. I just am, I finally accepted who I am and I'm not just okay with it, I'm so proud of it and so happy to be it. And I'm so happy to, to be proud to be a woman and sometimes be sad that other people don't celebrate this womanhood um, like, like I do. Thank you so much for sharing with us um, how your identity comes into play as you walk into a room to do collaboration, but also as a particular and, as you said, unique perspective as an art maker. Now, I want to ask a little bit more broad philosophical question, um, especially as an educator, but as an art maker, why is art important? It's just the it's the best way to to speak your mind to get your point across, not everyone, not everyone can express themselves just through words. Mm. Not everyone can hold a conversation or hold eye contact. And being able to use art, whatever that word means to you, you know, I've, I'm, I'm working a lot with, um, with children who have learning differences, many on the autism spectrum, and some of them are nonverbal. And they're still making art and they're still expressing themselves through their bodies, through physical, visual art. And it's just, it is my favorite way to be able to, I don't even want to say get my point across because half the time I don't know what my point is. Even now I don't I don't know where I'm going with, with this statement, but I know that art takes me to where I need to be. Even at the times when I don't know where I'm going, I end up where I need to be. Um, and often it's helping others create their art because like I said before, I never considered myself a writer, but I would take out my iPhone or my moleskin and just write down things. And now that I'm looking back at all this art that I created in the last four years, I'm like, oh, I've got a show, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that needs to be said about the world. Some positive, a lot that's negative. And I don't know any other way to express my feelings on everything that's happening other than art. Um, so it has such a beautiful place in the world. And I see so many people using their own art to express themselves. And that's something that, that always, you know, going back to, to my work with my mother, she used theater as a way to communicate. And that was her way to express herself. So I always knew that this was inside me. But I just think it's, it's so special. And that's why I want to give theater to children, you know, high schoolers. But it's just, it's so important. This also brings me to something. So I just started a, a after school club at a high school. And our first session was sort of just round robin, us talking about things, 
getting it off our chest. And they just, you could tell that these, it was maybe six girls who were with me that first day and they just needed someone to listen to them. And then they felt like I kind of tricked them, but in a good way. They're like, miss, how, how do you have us writing right now? They, they each created their own spoken word pieces because everything that they got off their chest, I told them to pick one phrase. If there was a message they were sending to the person or the group of people that they were upset with, they picked one phrase and then they wrote from there. And they came up with this art that they didn't think that they were capable of. And now they're like, oh, okay, we're artists. And I love it. That's why I'm here. Like, I, that's why I'm here. So it's really cool. Yes, I love that you mentioned uh, art being a tool for folks who are, you know, may not be great at, at speaking or making eye contact, uh, may have some communication challenges, but that art can be a way for them to legitimately express themselves. And that's a beautiful thing. So tell me, Naja, a little bit more. I know that you went to school in Boston at Emerson. So um, I'd love to hear more about your training and how you kind of got yourself onto the path to becoming a professional theater maker. In, when was it, 2010, I went off to Boston to start college. I went as a BFA acting major at Emerson College. And that's actually before Arts Emerson really existed. Um, they were creating Arts Emerson. So at Emerson, you've got Emerson College and you have the Performing Arts Wing. Mm -hmm. So the plays that the Performing Arts students do, that's Emerson Stage. And that's just the students who are part of it. And then they have the professional producing wing, which is Arts Emerson. I was born with Arts Emerson, honestly. Um, we were born together. So Arts Emerson was starting and it picked up really, really fast. Um, I can't even actually imagine anyone who graduated from Emerson before me not having it because it was so special. We were able to have our classes um, on the Emerson stage side, our classes mm -hmm. and our productions, which were awesome, and then be able to see for free all these incredible shows that were rehearsing in our, you know, rehearsal studios. We had workshops during classes called, um, we had a class called Languages of the Stage, and the Arts Emerson professionals, they would come in and talk to us. And so it was very fresh and new my freshman year, just like me, something I never got a chance to take advantage of, but many of my friends did. They also auditioned students to be a part of some of the Arts Emerson shows and help them get professional credits, but also help them work with such fascinating directors. Um, so I attended workshops. I was never in an Arts Emerson show, but it was just a really great way to sort of inform our artistry because we saw people who were well into their careers doing the thing. Honestly, for lack of a better phrase, they were doing the thing. And it was, it's really cool. And it's nice that I say I went to Emerson College and now people associate it with Arts Emerson. Mm -hmm. So switching tacks a little bit, um, can you tell me about one of your earliest theatrical experiences? I think it was maybe kindergarten. My mom was directing The Wiz at the Ooh. middle school that she worked at, and they needed some cute munchkins. And uh, I was I was the head of the munchkins. Yes. And I remember, you know, a little girl, Sarah, we're still friends to this day. Um, she couldn't remember her line. <laughs> So I just stepped up and took it. And I'm definitely a, a better member of an ensemble now. I won't just take someone's line. I was a bit of a shark back then. Um, but as the head munchkin, I had to keep the show going on. And from there, from kindergarten on, I, I was constantly getting little cameos in my mother's productions. Um, 
My mom always says, Naja girl, she was dancing before she was walking and singing before she was talking. And I definitely don't consider myself a dancer or a singer <laughs> um, these days. But I guess, you know, when I was itty bitty, I just wanted to perform. But once I got a little bit older, middle school age probably, I, I watched my mom. I watched my mom as she worked with middle school and high school aged mm -hmm. students. And then I got to be a little bit older than the middle schoolers and helped assistant direct. And everything she did, it was, she never had any formal training, but she's one of the best directors I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And it was because she was using theater as a way to communicate. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I was good at, I wasn't good at math. English was was my good subject, but it wasn't something, you know, I wanted to study. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I was good at in life was communicating. And when I watched my mom and realized that I could use theater as another way to communicate, I realized, okay, this is what I need to study. I can combine these two passions and maybe I'm not gonna be a lawyer or a mathematician or an engineer, but you know what? I might play one on a TV show one day. Um, so that's that's kind of the short version of how I got started in my journey. Well, Naja, I have to say, I love picturing you as, as a little munchkin and um, that had to be the most adorable thing ever. So I love that you mentioned your mother and her work and that being part of what um, kind of guided you or showed you that this path was possible. And so I want to ask, like, what is your hope for future art makers, especially coming from the educational standpoint, working with students? What are your hopes for, for future makers, future audience members? I hope that, you know, let's say I have a group of 15 and two become artists and makers and then 13 go and see shows right? I want them to know that the theater is a place where they can connect. Um, and and that's, that's because that's what my art form is. You can go to a museum and see visual art and connect in so many, I mean, music. Oh, and to me, that's part of theater. To me, it's all part of theater. That's what I try to tell the kids. For those kids who don't do anything with it, I want them to grow up and have a very, you know, normal structured life where they're going to a job and have a family but then maybe they get upset and they realize you know what honey we're gonna go see a show tonight and I want them to remember that this is a place where that they, they can escape and to stick with it whether that means sticking with their own art or remembering that this is a place where they can go and find a home um I think often and I'm no stranger to this we start something and we don't continue it and that's my hope is that people there, you're not going to finish every project you start, period. You just won't. But that you finish some and you stay committed to it. Now for some real juicy stuff. What is getting you fired up and inspired right now? Women speaking up. Um, our family friend Sanasha Baz curated a book of stories, poems, collections called Why Women Cry. And I texted this woman the other day and said, we, we should do an event like you used to do when I was younger, where we do you know a theatrical event. I, I want to produce and, and direct a show where I want to use some of the pieces that are in the book. I started thinking about that because of a poem my mother wrote though, that I really want to turn into a short film. It's called Tears of a Woman. After our initial recording, I asked Naja to share with us the poem that she mentioned. Here she is reading Tears of a Woman and the introduction from the book. Women are the cement that holds many things together. Our husbands and children come to us for comfort, and our friends look up to us for answers. Yes, we are powerful, but sometimes we too cry. Tears of a Woman by Fonda K. Muhammad.
Do the tears of a woman really need to be explained? Just think of her experiences, her lifetime of pain. At an early age, her siblings tease and ostracize. There's no one home to say stop or show otherwise. Her parents can't teach what was not taught to them, so she lives with neglect and caters to every whim. At age 12, her impulses are not so great, but by age 21, those desires turn to hate. Now she's stuck in a relationship that promises abuse. Emotionally defeated, she wears her pain quite loose. She hates her family, her friends, and her circumstance. Tears come followed by the pity me dance. Self-loathing brings the most tears and the greatest pain, but do the tears of a woman really need to be explained? Wow, it's a powerful piece, and there's a lot of story. I can see it being very cinematic because there's so much story kind of built into the poem. It's my mother's story, but it's also the story of many others, and I just see it. I can see it becoming like this beautiful spoken word that's captured on video, and this came to me when I was brushing my teeth one morning, and I was like, oh, okay, and here's the camera showing this woman brushing her teeth and going about her daily life. And maybe you don't ever see tears at all in this sort of, I see it as like a music video or spoken word piece, but you just see women going about their daily lives and and I hear my mother's words. We all know some things have been happening um, that have been upsetting women right now. And I was like, I need to do something. I really wanted to do something before this next election and that's just not going to happen. So I said, you know, at the top of 2019, I'm going to talk to the right people to produce this event and I'm going to call it Why Women Cry. And that's what's on my mind right now. Um, And I'm going to do that as a Black Muslim American woman. So, Naja, we've talked some about identity and especially about current events affecting women in particular. I know you were uh, one of the moderators on a kind of community discussion that grew out of CTC's production of the play The Woman Who Was Me, which is a solo show featuring our collaborator and friend Liz Stanton. And I was wondering if you could share some of what that experience was like uh, being a part of that conversation between the artists and the community members. CTC added the second act of The Woman Who Was Me, and I was asked to come in and be a moderator, right? A moderator for the second half discussion. Yeah, I didn't know what that was going to be. I didn't know what that was going to be. I was definitely happy that I was a chosen one, if you will. And it just, it was really, what I remember from it was it being such a refreshing conversation. I think I I moderated twice for that. And both times were so very different, such different discussions. And I had no idea in the start where those discussions were going to go, but it just felt like, and, and I'm a woman, so this is where... I was taken with it. I think there was a couple times men in the audience, but it was such, it felt like a celebration of womanhood. I remember, I think specifically the second conversation I moderated, there was such a wide range, a diverse group of women. Um, And I don't just mean in race or religion, but even just in age from, you know, women who could have been my grandmothers to women who were, you know, my age that could have been sisters or just friends. And everyone shared different experiences. And what I loved about it and what I remember most um, about it feeling like a celebration of womanhood is that it didn't feel like it was just a panel discussion with the audience asking questions. Mm -hmm. It felt like we were not sitting in a circle, but it felt like there was a circle. Mm -hmm. It felt like there was just an energy that we were all sharing with each other. And boom, we were able to take what Liz did as the actor, as the artist, 
and that opened up so many in some way in some ways wounds for some of the people and in some ways celebrations it just opened up a really beautiful dialogue between the audience members um liz and then didn't we have some people come in and then people who were part of the the panel and it was like we were just talking and you know i had to pay attention to the queue because it could have gone on like we could have stayed there all night we had to get out of the space eventually obviously but it was it was like the woman who was me that first act just opened up the hearts and eyes of so many people in the audience you have people sharing things that happened to them 20 years ago sharing things about how they felt about our current state of affairs in you know u.s politics it started off where people were asking like it started off feeling like a bit of a talk back asking questions about oh well how did you you know how did you prepare for this and what's it like doing a one-woman show and then it turned into so much more and it was really cool to be a part of that um it didn't feel like it felt like we were all on level playing field and if there's anything i want to do in my artistry and in 30 years i want to be able to look back on my artistry that i will god willing still be making um but i want to think about the fact that i'm opening conversations okay Naja. one last thing fill in the blank art is life Naja, thank you so much for being on questioning artists with us today you're welcome i'm really happy i could be here and uh we went a lot of places. I didn't expect to talk about so much, but it felt really refreshing. So thank you. I hope that, like me, today's conversation brought you inspiration and insight. Please explore CTC's website to find out more about our artists and projects and to sign up for our mailing list at convergencescollective.org. Questioning Artists is produced by Kate Michael Gibson and Jeremy Williams with collaborative consulting by Kalita Davis. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kate Jaworski. Visual imagery was created for the show by Natalie Loveland, and the conversation you just heard was recorded on October 19, 2018. Until next time, friends, I send you all the best for the questions you're asking, the art you're making, and the connections you're creating to bring more light into this world. Thank you for being part of the collective conversation.